Thank you so much, John. Appreciate your prayer this morning. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I would like you to turn, if you would, to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. On this Memorial Day weekend, we are going to continue in our study of the Gospel of John, and the section we come to is John, chapter 10, verses 11 through 21. John, chapter 10, verses 11 through 21. And even though we're going to continue in the Gospel of John this morning, at the end of the message, I do want to tie this in with our Memorial Weekend thoughts, acknowledging our Memorial Weekend and how this passage relates to it. And I actually think it relates more to it than we might think it does. Last week, we looked at the very first section of John chapter 10. And I shared with you a very important contextual component between John chapter 9 and John chapter 10, and that is that there is no break between the two chapters. There is no space, chronological space between them. Actually, John chapters 9 and 10 actually form one whole unit, especially the first part of John chapter 10. So it isn't like they're two different events. And the reason I tell you that, as I stressed with you last week, is the audience in John chapter 10 is the same audience that we saw in John chapter 9. And that is important for all of us to know because Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. He is speaking to a gathered group of Jewish people. He is speaking to his disciples. And he is speaking to the man who was born blind and was miraculously healed in John chapter 9. It is the same audience, the same group of people. And we saw last week in that first section that Jesus says he is the shepherd of the sheep and the gatekeeper opens the door for him and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his sheep by name and leads them out. And then in the same vein but a different perspective he calls himself the door. So first he says, I'm the shepherd of the sheep, and then he changes and says, I am the door. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And we looked at that great verse, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So, again, Jesus is speaking and the audience is the same. Let me read for you verses 11 through 21. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, 
but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is, and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Well, as we look at this second section of John chapter 10, our first point this morning is, I am the good shepherd. This morning we come to another I am statement of Jesus where Jesus claims to be the eternal I am, the eternal ever-existent God, which immediately takes our minds to the third chapter of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 3 and verses 13 and 14, we read, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So Jesus is claiming to be the great I am of the burning bush when God spoke to Moses. We think of John chapter 8 where the Jewish religious leaders who were debating and arguing with Jesus say to him, are you greater than our father Abraham? And Jesus says, Abraham longed to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And they said, you are not yet 50 years old. And you have seen Abraham? And then in John 8:58, we read, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham existed, I am the eternal, ever-existent God. And the Jewish leaders understood exactly what he was saying because in John 8, 59, it says that they picked up stones to stone him. There are seven, at least in our classical understanding of the Gospel of John, there are seven great I am statements of Jesus. We have seen three of them so far. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Last week, in verses 7 and 9, Jesus said, I am the door. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. I didn't stress the I am portion of it last week because I knew I was going to do it this week. But that is the third I am statement. And this morning we come to the fourth I am statement where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And let me tell you, that title is absolutely packed with content. Jesus is not simply saying, I am a morally good shepherd. Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd, the excellent, preeminent, lovely, beautiful, magnificent shepherd. Don't miss it, folks. 
Jesus is claiming to be the God of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God often referred to him as the shepherd of Israel and the people of Israel as his sheep. It is more than just Psalm 23. It is all kinds of passages in the Old Testament where God describes himself as the shepherd and Israel as his sheep. And so in verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Oh, there is so much in verse 11 that we could spend a whole sermon on that. Jesus is saying, I am the God of the Old Testament, and the God of the Old Testament has come to you to die in your place, to die for you. The God of the Old Testament is here, and I have come to die. Well, I want you to remember, again, that Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. They are one of the primary listeners to what he is saying, and that is important in verses 12 and 13. Jesus says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. In first century Israel, in Middle Eastern culture, the shepherd sometimes would not be able to care for his sheep. He may be sick. He may have to attend to other business. And so he would hire someone temporarily to watch his sheep. It was the hired hand. Some translations call him the hireling. He was basically a mercenary, someone who was paid to do a job, paid to care for the sheep, but he didn't have the same relationship with the sheep that the shepherd had. For him, it was just a job. For him, it was something that he simply did for a paycheck, if you will. It was something that he did for money. So if he saw a wolf coming, if he saw any kind of any enemy coming, he was gone. He was out of there. He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and then the wolf snatches them and scatters them. It was just his job. He didn't have a love relationship for them. He didn't care for them like the shepherd did. And here's what's important for us. Jesus is calling the Pharisees the hired hand. Last week, he called them thieves and robbers who try to enter the sheep pen by a different way. Here, he calls them the hired hand, and that's basically what the Pharisees were along with the Sadducees and the scribes and the teachers of the law. They were the Jewish religious leaders. They were paid well. They did it for the prestige. They did it for the money, but they didn't care about the people. They didn't care about the sheep. We think of John chapter 5 when Jesus comes to the pool of Bethesda and there's a man who is an invalid there or had been an invalid for 38 years. And Jesus tells him to take up his bed and walk and he is instantaneously, miraculously healed. A great miracle do the Pharisees rejoice? No. 
No, they get into an immediate debate with Jesus about healing on the Sabbath day. They cared nothing for this man. In John chapter 8, we see the woman caught in adultery. They care nothing for her. They want to stone her to death. In John chapter 9, we see the man who was born blind, who Jesus heals, gives perfect sight, an amazing, incredible miracle takes place. Do the Pharisees rejoice? No. Remember what they did in John chapter 9? They bring the man before them and they interrogate him as if he's some kind of criminal. They didn't care about the sheep. They were hired hands. They were not legitimate shepherds. But folks, we need to understand this morning there are hired hands all over Christianity all around the world. There are liberal pastors and liberal theologians and cult leaders all in some way associated with Christianity who don't care about the sheep. You know, there are all kinds of pastors out there who are in it just for the money. They go from church to church. They get a decent pay. They get decent benefits. They don't care about the sheep. They don't care what they teach them. They don't care about their intimate walk with Christ. They don't care about exalting Christ. Peter warns us about such people in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 3. He says, And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Notice that first sentence. And in their greed and in their love of money they will exploit you with false words. But there are good pastors. There are good elders. There are good shepherds who follow the lead of the good shepherd. Peter again in 1 Peter chapter 5 says, I exhort the elders among you. And in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2 he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Shepherd them as the good shepherd shepherds his sheep. And that reminds us this morning of the role of the elder in the New Testament church, whether it is a vocational elder like a pastor or a non-vocational elder. The, one of the primary biblical responsibilities of an elder is to protect the sheep, to protect the sheep from false teaching and false teachers. If any man is to become an elder, he must know the faith well. He must have a good, deep grasp of Scripture that's part of his qualification. He must love the sheep. He must protect them. He is the one who is always on guard for false teaching and false teachers. Well, in this passage, the good shepherd is the polar opposite of the hired hand. The good shepherd knows his sheep and his sheep know him. In verse 14, 
Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. The word know here is an intimate word. It actually in many places refers to sexual relations in a good way, in a good healthy way that Adam knew Eve, a husband knows his wife. Jesus says, I know my own. I have a deep, intimate, personal relationship with them and they know me and have that kind of relationship with me. And then in verse 15, he takes it to another level. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He compares our relationship to him with his relationship with the Father. Now, there's not a one-to-one -one correlation, obviously, but he uses it as an analogy. The relationship of God the Father with God the Son within the triune Godhead is a deep, personal, intimate relationship. And he said, that's what I have with my sheep. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And he says, I laid down my life for the sheep. And please understand this morning, the good shepherd doesn't just die for the sheep. He dies in their place. The good shepherd doesn't just die for the sheep. He actually dies in their place. And that brings us to that great verse. I mentioned this at the end. Verse 16, I mentioned this at the end of the sermon last Sunday morning. Verse 16, Jesus says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. This fold is a reference to what we looked at last week. Jesus is primarily speaking here to the Jewish people, the sheep who hear his voice. And as I shared with you, through the proclamation of the gospel, people become convicted of their sin. They become convicted deeply of their need for repentance and to place their faith and trust in the death of death and resurrection of Christ alone for their salvation. All of a sudden it becomes clear. And in essence, they hear the voice of the shepherd. They know that Jesus is the door, the way to salvation. But it says, I have other sheep who are not of this fold. This is a reference generally to all of the Gentiles. There are going to be not just Jews, but also Gentiles who are also going to be convicted of their sin of their need for a savior and see Jesus as the only way of salvation, of redemption. Folks, verse 16 is a great missionary verse. It means Jesus is going to bring in sheep from the nations. He's going to bring in sheep from all the people groups all around the world. This is a great, this verse is a great fulfillment. It is a great fulfillment of prophecies and promises in the Old Testament where it was said that Messiah was going to be a light to the nations, that the nations will worship Messiah. 
that the nations will bring glory to God. It's happening. Sheep from other sheepfold are going to be coming, but not only is it a fulfillment, this verse, it is a great preparation. Jesus is preparing his readers. He's preparing us for the great ministry of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles. He's preparing us for the proclamation of the gospel, the gospel that Paul said is a mystery that was hidden in ages past but is now fully revealed. It is all going to happen. As one writer said, it is the dawning of a new era. The gospel is going international. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will, they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. The Gentiles aren't going to become Jews. The Jews are going to become one new man in Christ, and the Gentiles are going to become one new man in Christ, and they will be one flock with one shepherd. Folks, this is Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians, the book that I preached on, are through before this. It's Ephesians 2. You Gentiles who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. And he has made us one new man, Jews and Gentiles. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Well, that brings us to our second point, a voluntary willing death. The death of the good shepherd is unique because he lays down his life voluntarily and takes it up again. No one takes it from him. Oh, a shepherd in Israel would sacrifice himself for his sheep, always often sacrifice great injury and protection of the sheep. We know David protected the sheep from a lion, from a bear. But the good shepherd is different. He voluntarily not only lays down his life, but he takes it up again. No one takes it from him. Verse 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Could be translated this way. For this reason the Father loves me, because I'm going to die and rise again. I'm going to be crucified and rise again. Jesus is foretelling here his own death. And then in verse 18, that great verse, a verse that some of you here probably have memorized. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. No one takes it from me. Oh, yes, the Jewish religious leaders and the Roman authorities conspired together to have Jesus crucified. But they could do nothing without the permission of God. They could only crucify Jesus because he allowed them to. No one takes his life from him. His death was not a defeat. It was a great victory. He laid it down. He laid down his life of his own accord, of his own, of his own choice, according to the eternal from ages past, the eternal plan of God. 
And he says, I have authority. This means universal authority. This means God-given authority. This means messianic authority. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority, universal, God-given, messianic authority to take it up again. And he says, this charge I have received from my Father. So interesting. There is such harmony, as we have seen in the Gospel of John, there is such harmony and symmetry between God the Father and God the Son. It is hard for us humanly to even make a distinction sometimes between the two in the New Testament. It says the Father sent the Son to die. In the New Testament, it says the Father raised Jesus from the dead. And yet the New Testament says that Jesus laid down his life. The New Testament says that Jesus took up his own life, raised up his own life. There is just this perfect, eternal, amazing harmony within the triune Godhead. So Jesus proclaims his death and resurrection. The good shepherd has come to lay down his life for the sheep. And in verses 19 through 21, it says, there was again, I want you to notice there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Because of what Jesus said, there was division among the Jews. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. He's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Oh, Jesus divides again. Folks, mark it down. The gospel always divides. The person of Jesus always divides and always has throughout church history and does even to our own day. He just does. It is amazing. Some people see Jesus as insane, demon-possessed. They don't believe in him at all. And yet there are those of us who have given our lives to him. He's everything to us. He is our hope. He is the good shepherd. He's not only the good shepherd, he's my shepherd. He's your shepherd. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning, I want to bring this back to this memorial weekend. The greatest need in our nation today is for men and women to come to the Good Shepherd. And you may say, oh, that's wonderful, Pastor Tim. That's what you're supposed to say as a pastor on Memorial Weekend. Everybody needs Jesus. Our nation needs Jesus. But I want you to think of something with me. Right now, right now, we live in a broken, hurting, and confused world. We live in a broken, hurting, and confused world culture, all kinds of confusion over gender identity, all kinds of confusion, gender dysphoria, term that's often used, confusion over what pronouns we're supposed to use, confusion over sexuality, confusion over the meaning of marriage. 
And those are just a few of the issues in our broken world. But folks, folks, we need to see under the surface. As Christians, as the children of God, we need to see under the surface. There is all this talking going on, all this shouting back and forth, all this debating and argument. And with the eyes of our Savior, we need to see beneath it. We need to see that there are people who are hurting. There are people who are crying out for help. There are thousands, I believe, maybe millions of people in our culture today. They don't even know what's right or wrong. They don't know what's true or not true. They don't. And they are crying out. Their very actions indicate they're crying out for something more. They have no significance. They have no meaning in their lives. They're just crying out. And they may not know it, but they need a good shepherd. They need a shepherd that will love them. They need a shepherd that will save them. They need a shepherd that will guide them. Listen. Listen to all the people crying out for help around us. And let us be reminded that men and women died in service of our country for the many liberties and freedoms that we enjoy today. But as Christians, perhaps the greatest liberty, the greatest freedom that we enjoy is freedom to preach and teach the precious truth of Scripture. We have the freedom to preach from pulpits, to teach in small groups, in Sunday school classes, one-on-one -on -one interactions. Men and women died so that we might have that freedom. Let's not let them down. Let's not let them down. The greatest thing you can do for our nation is to be faithful to the preaching and teaching of Scripture. Because when we are faithful to the preaching and teaching of Scripture, it will always, always lead to the Good Shepherd. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our Good Shepherd, Jesus. Thank you that our Good Shepherd laid down his life for us. And thank you that he rose from the dead, that he took up his own life for our salvation. Thank you that he loves us and cares for us and protects us. And we thank you in his name. Amen.